my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. He turned to the other and said, we don't know how lucky we are. And the Cuban stopped and said, how lucky you are. I had some place to escape to. And in that sentence, he told us the entire story. If we lose freedom here, there's no place to escape to. This is the last stand on earth. I'm saying that you cannot say that numbers collected at the employer's place of business reflect simply the employer's policies. Those, no those numbers reflect underlying conditions in the whole society, just as numbers collected at a hospital do not show you that people are sick because they're in the hospital. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. You're tuning in to The Unveiled Patriot with yours truly, Travis Masterbone, and this is Convo number 31 with once again, Jeff Nichols. Welcome back, Jeff. Hi, Travis. How are you today? Doing great. I must be honest. Looking back, I started this a while ago now. I feel like I'm getting up there a couple of years, but listening back at my older um, episodes, maybe you do this as well when you first start recording. Um, you are one of my favorite episodes, right? From, oh, the cave, from, from the cave analogy to so many other things, I actually enjoy. I'm like, oh shit, I forgot we were talking about that. Oh, I actually really like those insights yeah, <laughs> and, thank you. And, and the founding feuds. Uh, you're just an interesting dude. And so just in case uh, all those losers out there who didn't listen to our previous conversations, uh, give a brief intro and tell us about yourself and then we'll get this thing rolling. Yeah, well, uh, I'm Jeff Nichols. I have a podcast, uh, History Comes Alive with Jeff Nichols. Um, we've been uh, taking a chronological look at uh, American colonial history, which is kind of my favorite time period. Um, I think I did, I have not done an episode in a few months. Uh, we're getting ready to ramp back up. Um, I did 82 episodes in 83 weeks, I think. Um, so I was pretty busy. Uh, the bulk of those were, again, chronological um, for American colonialism. The goal is to get to the revolution. But uh, after, I think, about 77 episodes, um, I'm in 1645. So haven't made a ton of progress. Um, got a while to go. We do. Well, We've laid the foundation. Um, there was a couple of really big events. Uh, I spent 18 episodes on the Pequot War, uh, which most Americans haven't heard of. Uh, probably one of the more essential periods in American colonial history. Um, and then we just, I've got a couple of more episodes to wrap up with the English Civil War, uh, which ties in well with uh, the New England colonies. And so once we do that, uh, we'll make more progress, I think a little quicker, but I, I laid a good foundation and uh, we're gonna, once we start recording again, I've got a couple of interviews I'd like to do, uh, you being one of them. Uh, come on my podcast, talk a little bit about your uh, background and where you're at, uh, what you're doing with your podcast. So it's it's generally a history podcast, uh, but we're going to start doing some bonus episodes, which will be more uh, contemporary interview styles. Nice. Yeah, yeah. I think that would be a very nice touch. I genuinely love your episodes because I'm a geek. And it seems like that you really get into the details and the nitty gritty of history. And I think that's very important. Uh, I feel like at the end of every one of our conversations, we always talk about the lack of civics or good civics being yeah. taught anymore. And so I think it's very interesting uh, what you do and what you're about. And I really liked your podcast. And that's how we ended up uh, getting, in, getting together on this. I reached out and here we are. So contemporary issues. As we said, just before we hit the red button, a lot of shit going on, uh, quite overwhelming. I honestly don't know 
where to begin. I mean, we just got done with the midterm. So I guess that's a good point to kind of start. Um, what are your overall thoughts on the midterms from a national level? Uh, be brief if you can. <laughs> and then and then maybe we can dive a little bit deeper in your area. You're from New York. You can give us some interesting stories and maybe some stuff that people don't know about. Yeah, I think the midterms, um, a little concerning to me. Uh, I, I hate to think of myself as a one party guy. Um, I'm really not. But, um, you know, I think at this point, um, the Democrat side of the aisle is just a little too progressive for me. So uh, I would, as I answer this, I guess we have to qualify that. Um, I'm generally not a one party type of guy. Um, I'm pretty conservative on most things, pretty traditional. Uh, a few things I'm a little more liberal. But um, I think the concern for the midterms for me um, is the absolute inability for us on a national scale um, to actually hold national elections um, with any confidence whatsoever in, in the populace. Um, I don't want federalized elections. So I think it's good that state and local authorities regulate themselves. Um, but we've come to a point where we don't seem like we're able to do that for a host of reasons. Um, 2020 is an example. Um, we use Pennsylvania a little closer to my neighborhood in the country. Um, you know, they changed some of the laws for voting uh, at a state level. They could have been challenged before the election of 2020, and they weren't um, to a satisfactory level um, on the right. And if you want to use it that way, uh, say it that way. And so um, a lot of these, a lot of the confusion in our elections has been brought about uh, bad decisions, uh, bad bureaucracy, uh, but also, frankly, um, they've been allowed to happen. You know, uh, litigation after the fact is it's too late. So yeah. the, the midterms, it doesn't feel like a lot of things were fixed from 2020. It feels like things got worse. Correct. Um, and to their uh, to their credit, the Democrats um, and the progressive wing, certainly of the Democratic Party, um, has done a lot better job mobilizing. Um, they've done a lot better job with the mail-in ballots. Um, yeah, I don't want to go down the road as a national conversation of always saying that the the elections are rigged. Mm -hmm. um, you know, although I think there are some irregularities, um, but they've done a much better job um, of, of figuring out how to, you know, skirt the outskirts of the of the law. And some of the things they've done, I don't really appreciate, but um, they aren't actually illegal. And so. I think there's a genuine dissatisfaction with the midterms, and that is part of it is um, we're skirting the law, we're cheating a little bit maybe, um, but the reality is the left side of the aisle has done a much better job with mail-in ballots um, getting the vote, you Yeah, know, and, and it, we have to fix that. Yeah, and I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it, the fact of the matter is rules were tweaked. And yes. I think if the shoe was on the other foot, the way legacy media would be reporting it would be very different. And that's kind of the hypocrisy that I always seem to highlight Absolutely. most. So it doesn't matter if you're left, right, uh, independent. Uh, at the end of the day, I'm watching these videos of so many Democrat politicians. And I watched a recent one of Obama uh, basically accusing the Republicans, well, uh, Thank God Democrats are in power because the machines won't be rigged or whatever. And then 
democracy wasn't a threat wasn't at stake right there what there was no threat to democracy when certain politicians say or accuse of fraud or uh, illegitimacy but i think these concerns are popping up because there's just a bunch of shit and if this is an evidence what is jeff what is evidence absolutely <laughs> you know well yeah and and you're exactly right with the the national media um because when we talk about election deniers um, that happens far more on the left than the right. Mm -hmm. um, you can go back to 2000. You can go back as far as you want. Um, oh, you can go back to, you know, 1960. Um, would Kennedy have been elected had the dailies not thrown the city of Chicago and therefore the state of Illinois to Kennedy over Nixon? I mean, that, mm -hmm. that's a legitimate you know, question. So when we talk about election integrity, um, the, the sway of the mainstream media is always leaning left. Um, so a lot of the complaints... A lot of the lawsuits, a lot of the challenges uh, to elections from the left side of the aisle aren't really reported. Um, Stacey Abrams is a perfect example in Georgia. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I don't, I'm sure you've heard the montages. I mean, yep. She must have said 50, I don't know, 50 times, 25 times publicly that she doesn't acknowledge, uh, doesn't concede the 2018 election, governor's election. Mm -hmm. um, and she still, I just saw a couple of weeks ago, a live uh, speech question answer session. She's still, flat out denies that she lost that. So, yeah, you know, it, it happens on both sides and, and that that's unhealthy for the country. Um, it's not just, it's not just the right that is, that is pushing the idea that we have to challenge these elections. And, mm -hmm. and again, as a lot of our elected officials have, have been pointing out, there's nothing illegal in challenging an election. There's nothing, Correct. there's nothing, you know, distasteful about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's what I was telling people when I wasn't really too political at the time I was warming up to Trump, but I was kind of like, who cares if he's challenging it? If you guys won fair and square and you guys are cool with your hand and you're um, you're good with that, show it. And I think it's the lack of transparency for me. It's the quick, you're full of shit. Like uh, the certification processes here yeah. in our counties were so quick. And just all the people who testified at these hearings where these recorders are going to, with board of supervisors are going to certify the election. I, 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 it was just so quick. And they just don't give a shit about the people's concerns. We're talking poll watchers, independents, right wing people, yep. and some left. Um, so, and there's plenty of anecdotal evidence as well. If you go to Carrie Lake's page, she was the Republican running as governor. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And so there's plenty of evidence. I would like to think it's evidence. But again, I mean, if this isn't, I don't know what is. Maybe we have to dig a little bit deeper. But let's just pretend like there was zero fraud and all the things that occurred during these midterms occurred because of the voters. I'm a little concerned that we are voting in a vegetable as our U.S. Senator Fetterman, right? I know Dr. Oz wasn't the greatest candidate in the world, but really, are we getting to this point? I saw a great uh, political uh, comic where it's like a guy being drawn in a grocery store in the vegetable aisle, and he's watching a TV of Biden celebrating with Fetterman. And he looks to the vegetables and he, and he says, like, a bubble comes up. Don't get any ideas. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's hilarious. But I mean, overall, let's just pretend there is zero fraud, zero shenanigans, zero irregularities. What's the temperature of our society? What do you see from these midterms? Yeah, um, lack of critical thinking skills. Um, cognitive dissonance is a term. I, I actually thought about doing a whole podcast episode just on that term. Um, Please do. <laughs> Yeah, the inability to recognize reality for what it is. Um, you know, 
it's one thing to have a position left or right. Um, you know, you you philosophically, uh, emotionally uh, feel pulled in one direction or another. Um, it's another thing to just completely check your brain at the door. And, you know, so if you if you're on the Democrat side and a lot of Republicans are like this, too, you, you won't vote for a Republican. You could, will only vote Democrat um, to the extent that you would vote for a Fetterman. If if the candidate is that distasteful, then don't vote at all, right? Um, because you know you're you're going to be hard pressed. We're in um, if we're in this bubble, you know, nationally um, in the United States, people from outside of the bubble looking in think we're insane. You know the the concept. You know the rest of the world. You know um, it doesn't matter what the issue is. It doesn't seem to now between right and left in this country. Uh, New York State has the most liberal abortion laws in the country uh, by far. And our abortion laws in New York and, and the folks in New York, the pro-abortion people, um, they act like the Supreme Court took their rights away. It, mm-hmm. Nothing could be farther than the truth. Right. Um, but there's only two entities in the world that have more um, uh, liberal abortion policies than New York State. That's North Korea and China. Correct. So if that shows you, you know, that shows you how radically left wing that is. And yet most people in New York state, they don't even know that. And when you tell them that they think you're lying, like they just don't believe it. Like everybody thinks you just kill a baby after it's born. So, mm-hmm. you know, when it comes to these elections, like you get a candidate like Fetterman, the same mentality, that same cognitive dissonance that goes into a, a pro-abortion mindset in, in New York state, um, that same mindset is electing a guy like Fetterman. Like, I just can't intellectually disconnect from the fact that my guy shouldn't be elected. Who's your guy? My team. My team is the D team. So I I think until we, and I don't know when that happens, but um, as a nation, until we get back to a place where adults are generally able to make adult critically thought out decisions, uh, we're in trouble, you know, because we're not doing that now. Um, I don't know how, I think it takes place, you know, individuals interacting with individuals um, because including myself, we just go to the media outlets we like, right? I listen, I've got six or eight podcasts I listen to. Um, those are the ones I listen to. I've got a few guys on the left I actually do like to listen to. Um, I know I don't agree with a lot of things they say, but they actually have a brain. Mm-hmm. Um, but until we get to a point where we can be presented with rational information and and generally speaking, everybody comes to the same conclusion. I don't think this gets, I don't think it gets fixed. Yeah. And so that was the main thing for me with these midterms. Sorry, I'm just writing. Yeah, I, that's right. I, I'm putting together my, my list actually of like where I'm getting my information. I actually listen to a lot of left-wing middle people, but then I also listen to some really right-wing people as well. So what, um, with this whole Kanye West, Alex Jones shit going on. Um, you know, I don't want to be stuck in some echo chamber and just completely trash Alex Jones, but yet I've never listened to one episode of him. And so cognitive dissonance, I looked it up. So the state of having inconsistent thoughts, beliefs, or attitudes, especially as relating to behavioral decisions and attitude change, inconsistent thoughts. Like, I just feel like that is at the root of almost every damn contemporary issue that I come across, I'm kind of like, hold up. There's the right wing beliefs and ideologies of philosophy and the left. 
But then there's also something that shouldn't even be political at all, like the border, for example. Like if that is occurring, we should all be on board that we should cut yes. shut that down, right? You know, and and when you were bringing up the abortion stuff, it reminded me of my conversation I had with my client. I was like, yeah, well, the main thing in the midterms, when I was watching these debates, all the Democrats sounded uniform. They were identical. Absolutely, They were absolutely identical. And the main thing that I always picked up is when, if there was any Republicans, they were usually Trump endorsed candidates. They'd be like, okay, then what's your limit, right? Let's draw some lines. Let's come to a compromise. What is your limit? And they always kind of scooted around it. And my client on the phone, he was just kind of like, well, people aren't really killing their babies with uh, late term abortion. That's not really real. And I'm like, how do you know that? Like, what What are you talking about? What, yeah. what world are you living in? If so, then this wouldn't even be a problem. And wouldn't these Democrats just say, OK, we'll take 15 weeks or we'll take 20 weeks or whatever. Right. But they never drew a line. And that's the problem. It is. And. So you hear something over and over again, and you start to believe it. I mean, that's that's one of the things. Right? You just you keep repeating the lie, and, and people start to accept it. And so, a lot of people, my friends at least, people that I know uh, that are more left leaning, um, they may listen to NPR, they may read the newspaper, um, but generally, if they turn on the radio, they're listening to music. And there's nothing wrong with that. I like music too, but they're not generally informed. And so. You know, the Democrats are very good. The left is very good at figuring out exactly what words trigger people, um, what phrases. And so, you know, we don't call it infanticide. We call it choice. Well, that's funny because if I'm pro-choice, they still hate me. Like I have to be for killing babies. And they always move that that marker up. And part of the we might have talked about this last time. I'm not yeah. sure. Um, but, you know, the Frankfurt School uh, was, you know, it's. They were in Russia and then they, they, the, these, you know, secular Jewish fascists uh, or Marxists, um, they relocated to Germany and they were obviously not in, on good terms with the Nazis. Hitler comes into power. Um, they go, they're invited to Columbia University uh, here in the States and they set up shop at Columbia University. Um, the idea was Marxism and they would push the economic Marxism like in Russia. Um, and during the Russian Revolution, when mm -hmm. they came to America, um, they were welcomed here um, and they decided, I think it started in Germany, they decided that they wouldn't go for the economic Marxism, they would go for social Marxism, which there's a slight difference. It's got the same, uh, the same end game. So when they came to America, um, the Nazis were in power, World War II comes along because these guys, even though they were Marxists, they're anti-Nazi. So mm -hmm. our federal government... Uh, they started bringing them in, you know, to different agencies in the federal government to to help fight against the Nazis. Well, what happened is now they become entrenched in the federal government. And then when World War II is over, they don't leave. The agenda was always a Marxist agenda and ideology. But what they recognized, they thought after World War II, that would be the time to, to start to really push Marxism in America. Hmm. And then you've got the 50s, you know. Uh, where we have this economic prosperity and the absolute burgeoning of a strong American middle class. And, and you know, I remember reading books years ago where the Russians said they couldn't get American citizens to, they were, they, it always stymied them. They couldn't find Americans that would betray their own country. It's very difficult. Mm -hmm. uh, probably a little easier now. Oh, for sure. But at, <laughs> at any rate, um, 
So what they decided was the the middle class America was not going to turn on the country. The middle class America was never going to accept Marxism because there's too much too much comfort and wealth, right? So they decided to go after uh, you know social Marxism, and they went after the groups of people that were disenfranchised, you know, minority groups that were disenfranchised, and so they went after the 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 women's rights movements, you know. Um, and so we see, you know, the emergence of, you know, the the women's movements in America, the feminist movements in America went radically uh, left wing. Um, they went after African Americans, who, by the way, were actually starting to make progress. And you know, I'm not saying I, I would not want to be a black teenager in 1950s Alabama. Don't misunderstand me. Correct. But progress was being made. Um, they went after the black families um, and the militant black power movements. They embedded themselves into those. And then they went after the homosexual community and they went after social Marxism, you know, explaining how you're so disenfranchised and the country hates you. But their economics is always Marxist economically. So, you know, the end game is always to destroy capitalism and the American middle class. And so, you know, it's taken them decades, but they finally got to the point where all of these little fragments and these fringe groups, you know, they have been so divided, um, but they're just absolutely convinced that America hates them. No matter what, you know, what we say, no matter what happens. I mean, uh, racism and slavery exists all over the world still today. Uh, 600,000 Americans lost their lives in the Civil War. Uh, we're the number one destination for black and brown people around the world um, to, for, to, to immigrate here. And yet, when you talk to a progressive on the left, you can never convince them that you know, there's any value or merit whatsoever in America for a brown or a black person, you know? Um, And and so we've got this, this divide now, this cognitive dissonance that it doesn't matter what kind of proof, it doesn't matter, you know, what you tell somebody or what the stats are, what the data says, it doesn't matter how you analyze. There are a a good portion of our society, I mean, dare I say close to 50%, that will never be able to get around all of these fragmented facts, you know, there's a, a chunk of them that it's abortion at any cost, because if I can't, if I can't have an abortion, you're taking away my rights. Well, what about the right of the baby? They don't care. But right. so, you know, meanwhile, if you go back, the progressive agenda was to actually insert abortion into the black communities and get rid of them. I mean, you know, 70% of abortions in America are, are African Americans. You want to mm-hmm. talk about racism, and segregation, it's the American progressive whites that have killed your babies. So, you know, getting people to understand that. Um, Planned Parenthood, they're almost always located just outside of large urban black neighborhoods. There's a reason for that, you know? So having that discussion then with abortion, somebody that's a a pro-choice, having that discussion, they they can't see those arguments. You know, if you're talking about race in America, again, I'm not saying it's perfect. I get it. But we've come a long ways and we're a lot more integrated than a lot of these people seem to think. And there's a lot of perks. You know, we're not looking at equality anymore. We're looking at, you know, a protected class of people. Sometimes there's a lot of benefits that I can't get as a white Northwestern, you know, Christian European male that everybody else seems to be able to reap. So, you know, at at what point, where does that end? I mean, it's the, the difference between equality and equity and, if you can't reason with someone on issues of, again, these are the, 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 the buzz topics of the day, abortion or racism in America, if you can't have a, a, 
a respectable conversation with somebody on the other side of the aisle. We'll never solve these things. And and the what makes me nervous is that is the goal of Marxism. You know, so this cognitive dissonance that that so many people are suffering. The people at the top of that food chain aren't suffering that at all. They know exactly what they're doing. Mm -hmm. They're inserting confusion. You know, we talked about it before we started recording. It feels like every institution in America is under attack because they are like, you know, I asked, I've got a couple of friends that are more progressive um, and I'll ask them, like, is there anything good about America then? Is the rest of the world tries to come here? Mm -hmm. You sit here in all of your privilege. I mean, what is it about the country that you actually like? Yeah. I mean, it's hard to get an answer. Impossible. And in, and the funny part is I've probably asked probably 10 people now. And I know there's a lot of people who follow my stories, watch my stories, and they know what I'm doing and saying, but they refuse to come on. People who disagree with me nowadays, they refuse to come on because I think they're afraid that I might bring some facts to the table or I might challenge them on their beliefs and they might be stubborn and just completely flat out deny it and look like a fool on the camera or they might be afraid that they might be persuaded and they don't want to get lumped together with us conspiracy theorists um yeah and so for the most part with cognitive dissonance i see that tenfold i was just talking about this with my wife in the kitchen i mean we can literally have a picture of a bandit with a black and white shirt and like a mask on and just a bag and like hand in the cookie jar full picture and video and we could show them like look look, look what's going on. They will completely ignore it and yep. deny it by all means necessary. And we see this with the Twitter files release. I don't know if you've been up to date with that, but I was reading through that last night yeah. and I was reading through it. I'm like, well, this is pretty much proof. We already knew this, but then I go to the comment section. And of course, all the left is like, this doesn't yes. do it for me. This proves nothing. How is this any different than Fox news? Yada, yada, yada. But me personally, I'm like, no, this is, damn this is proof if these emails are legit and they're not edited and elon musk and this guy uh, i believe his name is um the one who's posting it matt uh taibi he's posting these uh threads or whatever and it's still going on he just did the first series which was like 30 yeah. some 30 some tweets and it's just emails between uh the executive uh how do you pronounce her name uh, Vijaya G uh, Gotti. Uh, she's talking with direct Biden team. And it's, it's like, this is the exact example. These emails are proof that the yes. government was sticking its hand through the Twitter puppet and censoring one side of political aisle with the Hunter Biden laptop story. You want to give some of your thoughts on that? No, absolutely. And they can't, they can't for the life of them understand um, when they read something like that, what they're actually reading, I like, I, they're in, it's insanity. It's insanity. Um, mm -hmm. You know, when you just look at the news feed itself and everything is, they act like, so like with these elections, the midterm elections, perfect example. Um, if everything's on the up and up, then the country is like 50-50 on almost everything. Mm -hmm. When you look at the news feeds, like just understanding that with the major, you know, um, mainstream media, just understanding that like they're reporting, there's almost nothing on, you know, if you're doing, let's say, you know, again, race or abortion or the border, there's nothing on those feeds, very little that would even begin to hint at the fact that 50% of the country disagrees. 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, well, of course we, you know, the borders, there's no problem at the borders. You say that with confidence as if there really is no problem at the border. Mm-hmm. And yet it's wide open. Every country in the world has security on their borders. Right. So to be able to look at the news feed and to not recognize that 50% of the country actually thinks the border ought to be closed, to not realize that 50% of the country doesn't believe in killing babies up until the end of the third trimester. You know, mm-hmm. 50% of the country doesn't think we're seeped in just this racial divide that can never be healed, including a lot of African-Americans. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the the idea of Black Lives Matter, the, the riots in, the, in 2020 in the summer there, 50% of our country doesn't have a problem with that. You know, I think I was, I was telling you, you know, um, a, a guy that I'm very close to is very progressive. Um, I was talking to him a couple of weeks ago. He saw no problem with those riots. What he actually said, I mean, it's actually, it's a disservice to the African-American community. If you, if you just use that as an example, first of all, a lot of those riots, there was a lot, an awful lot of white progressives in there, but my, my, my friend said though, I said, so if we're so racist, what do you do with, let's say black on black crime? I mean, so I'm a conservative. I'm concerned about the urban areas and the conditions that those poor folks live in. And if I was a young black man, I'd be pissed off too. But mm-hmm. what do you do about that? Because there, it, it's not even like the riots or, you know, I asked, I asked my friend, you know, as a white guy, and I'm, I'm, I'm asking a serious question. I've had some, some African-American friends. We've actually talked about this. They totally agree. But I asked, I asked my friend who, who's white. I said, so if racism in America is so bad, and it's white on black. Can you name a large urban African American neighborhood in this country that at noon I would be safe in as a white man? And he admitted, no, I can't. I don't even, he said, I don't even have to because that's not the problem. They were so abused. He said they bought they they stole their bodies from Africa and brought them here. And I said, like 200, 300 years ago? I mean, what at what point do you stop being guilty of that? Mm-hmm. Um, but he, what he said was, and I've had other progressive friends say this, this is a legitimate argument in his mind. This isn't a black guy. This isn't a brown person. This is a white guy that grew up in middle-class America. He doesn't know what he's talking about. What mm-hmm. he said was, though, it's, it's so disingenuine and it's so demoralizing and car- it, it makes a caricature of the African-American plight in this country, which there is, because he said... Well, of course they act that way. They haven't had freedom for very long. They haven't learned how to react yet, how to how to handle liberty and freedom yet. Mm-hmm. And I said, so if you were enslaved for a couple of hundred years as a people group, you can just go on being violent, killing people and destroying your own neighborhoods. And you believe that in time with patience, they might get better. I said, I think it, it's actually proving that it's worse. I said, and besides, the civil rights movement was in the 1960s. We're 50 years removed from that. Mm-hmm. The issue isn't that they don't, I, you know, I said, so what you're saying is they don't know how to control themselves. There's no self-control and discipline. You're the one that seems to be the racist, not me. I'm saying they're capable of better. You're saying they're not. Right. And that and, does seem to be the issue on the left. And it, it is ironic too. Uh, don't bring up the fact that most of the areas that are the problem are ran and have been heavily dominated by the Democrats. So it's, the hypocrisy yes. it's the guys that wait a minute 
it's all these left wing politicians that are going to be the saviors that are um, spewing the nonsense and the bullshit. But somehow, some way, those policies haven't really done shit. So yeah. why don't we try something new regardless? And I don't care who the politician is. Maybe some new ideas just need to be brought to the table. And that's the most ironic thing, too. The, the whole race thing. I started to find out more and more as I dug deeper. I'm like, wait a minute, the left seems more racist than the right. And this is where we're at. Like colorblind is really a bad thing to be in this day and age. I just don't believe that whatsoever. And it's just, uh, again, uh, it's government policies. It's too much government, like handouts, not hand ups, not teaching entrepreneurship and not teaching uh, self-governance and family values, right? Keeping the family intact. Yeah. So you, I, I think these are legitimate arguments. I don't know why we have to be crazy to think about this stuff. This almost seems like the ABCs, if we were to rewind back in time on what makes a great society. And I think we're just really going in a different direction in the name of ideology. And even if the facts are on the table, cognitive dissonance, dissonance seems to play a huge role. And so, yeah, I mean... It's crazy. I'm seeing videos of China right now. Have you seen any of those? They're in yes. camps and the protests, but you see none of that on mainstream media. I don't think it's a coincidence when we talk about this overwhelming attack on all institutions and we never denounce China and what's going on over there. Your thoughts? Um, yeah, it's true. Did you happen to see the video footage of um, Hillary Vaughn from Fox News when she was uh, questioning Tim Cook? Uh -uh. Uh, earlier this week no so i don't know where he's the ceo of apple and right. i'm not sure where he um was going mm -hmm. but he's walking down the hall with a bunch of people in suits uh, very important of course and she was asking him about apple's dealings in china you know don't you feel guilty about um you know don't you feel hypocritical about um i'm sorry i had some audio technical difficulties i've got some crew members in the background here fixing my uh my electric. So anyways, um, but she was, he's walking down the hall trying to get to a meeting. He's got a bunch of people around him and she was asking him, you know, about his, the hypocrisy with how you deal with China. And I forgot exactly what she asked him, but the bottom line is, you know, you, you're this woke CEO in America, um, you know, concerned about human rights. And yet you have sweatshops in China to make your phones. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. do you see, do you feel any responsibility about that? He didn't even answer her. He just completely ignored her. And this was like a 30 second video clip walking down the hall. No response whatsoever. And yeah, that's really where we're at. You know, um, we just had the election cycle. We saw this. It may have gone on with Republican candidates, too. I don't think so at this point in time. But, you know, uh, the brazenness of Kathy Hochul in New York, uh, Fetterman in Pennsylvania, um, Whitmer. Uh, Whitmer, they won't even debate because they can't stand on the merits. Progressivism never works in the ballot box. It never works when you're when, in, in a debate in the arena of free ideas. Progressivism has it's never worked. It never will. Mm -hmm. So th they won't address those things. Um, you know, the progressivism and the cognitive dissonance. Uh, just one more thing on that. You're when you're talking a few minutes ago. If you need any, I said this to my friend a few weeks ago, if you need any proof about what works and what doesn't, if we're really talking about advancing society, because that's when I'm talking about political policies, I'm talking about advancing society, making things better, right? We, 
we're going to always have a problem come up, natural disaster or this or that happens, whatever. But the idea of political policy is to continually advance and get better, right? And make it better for society. That's the country, the nation, the mindset I always grew up in, right? So other countries aren't founded that way. You know, you serve the state in a progressive, you know, Eastern Europe, China, uh, the, the people exist to serve the state. But mm -hmm. that isn't the nation that we've always had. We've always had the idea that the state exists to protect the people and give us the most amount of liberty and freedom and ability to chart our own path. As long mm -hmm. as we're not hurting other people. Right. But so when you want, if you want to look at then what is success and failure, that's, that's what my, my chart is, or my thought process for success and failure is, is society moving forward? Is education doing better or worse? Are job opportunities better or worse? Is the, is the average American family doing better or worse? When we take a look at the major cities in America, they're almost all completely run by Democrats now. The, the, the city councils, the mayor's office, all of these you know, prestigious, important positions are all run by Democrats. And, and we see the urban decay. There's a cognitive dissonance. If somebody really wants to see the country thrive and do better, there's, there's a complete breakdown of critical thinking to not be able to look at that. Like if 50% if of the country was Republican uh, mayors and, and, and Republican-run cities, and 50% was Democrat, and you could compare policies, and you've got real competition between the cities, there's actually a, a desire for excellence, then we would be able to pick and choose the policies that work and don't work, and we would see real change and real progress. But mm -hmm. the reality is, with a one-party rule, which we have in most of these major cities, that happen to be Democrats, they're imposing progressive policies, and we see poverty growing, illegitimacy growing, illiteracy going, the businesses leave, People say that the business owners are racist. That's why they leave the inner city areas. No, they leave because they can't find literate employees. You, you accost and rob them in their own businesses. They're just, they're, they're capitalists. They're more than happy to come into your neighborhood and build a factory and produce things there if, if all things are equal and it's, it's more affordable to do it. But the guy's not a racist and he doesn't hate poor people because he moves out to the suburbs. He's paying mm -hmm. more in taxes and more for property and more for upkeep to move to the suburbs, but he's not physically accosted at work. I mean, yep. when you have democratic uh, run cities, we now see this 50 year model playing out and you see the urban decay. Detroit used to be the, the wealthiest middle-class city in America. Mm -hmm. They haven't even had someone run for Republican mayor since like 1972. That's not even, I don't even think that's an exaggeration or hyperbole. I believe it's 1972. Yeah. So, a lot of the major cities, I remember I went crazy in a coffee shop. I was just, I'm, I'm curious. What, let me look at these major cities. When was the last time a Republican, a real yeah. one, was actually in there? And it was staggering numbers. I don't know where that sheet went, but I might just spend another few hours and do it all over again. Yeah. But and do a whole episode on it but it is staggering and that was something that really kind of changed my entire perspective on the entire democratic platform and i'm just kind of over it to be honest um but for the most part with your area in new york um where are you from again and tell us a little bit about the political temperature right now with everything going on and kathy holchel and then lee zeldin made waves even though he didn't win uh maybe give a little bit about that in regards to the midterms. Yeah, so I live um, definitely closer to Rochester, uh, New York. Uh, I live between Rochester and Syracuse, pretty rural area. 
Um, but my region of New York State, Western New York, um, it's very different than downstate. It's, it's nothing like New York City. Um, very rural agriculture is the number one uh, industry. Uh, Rochester itself, um, we're between Syracuse and Buffalo. Um, Rochester is historically um, been a tremendously uh, important and successful city. Um, Eastman Kodak uh, got its start here, uh, as well as Bausch and Lomb, um, Xerox. So, you know, there's been some very important companies, uh, major employers, uh, global dominance. Um, IBM had a big presence here. So, it, not to mention, uh, geez, I think we've got 12 or 13 uh, colleges and universities. Um, you know, Rochester University or University of Rochester, Rochester Institute of Technology. So we've got some uh, uh, we've got some history um, certainly, but I would say the last 30, 40 years, uh, Kodak. You know, it's 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 not even what it used to be. Uh, Kodak doesn't exist. Um, it's Kodak Alaris now, different company. Um, we've seen nothing but urban decay. Uh, I remember, you know, when you go back to the 70s and 80s, early 90s, where New York City, um, New York City was the Chicago, and they had all of the crime, um, worst, you know, crime in the country. Uh, Rochester's crime rate uh, statistically was higher than New York City's. Um, you know, for the size of our city, um, I think we rival. We pretty, I think we come pretty close to rivaling what we see going on in Chicago, and, you know, again, it's. It's decades and decades and decades of progressive politics. Um, we did have back in the 90s, we did have a Republican mayor for a while. Um, some of the suburbs of Rochester, there's still a ton of wealth um, around the Rochester area. Uh, some of the suburbs are still pretty conservative, but the the urban area of Rochester, I think we're the, I think we slipped now with a lot of people moving to Florida. I think we're the fourth largest school district in the state. Um, maybe third, uh, New York City, Buffalo, it might be Rochester at this point. Um, but, you know, we've got the highest per capita administrative cost to our public schools um, in the state. And I think we've got a graduation rate of about 30% proficiency rate under 10 consistently. Um, you know, and the shame of that, the stain of that year after year now we're going into decade after decade of just absolute decline. And, you know, there doesn't seem to be, there doesn't seem to be a remedy. Like I, I always make this joke, you know, you're, we're supposed to believe from our elected officials, let's say right in the Rochester area, there's, there's just no answers to these things. There's no answers to crime. There's no answers to illegitimate children. There's no answers to illiteracy. We just can't fix these problems. This is just what happens. Mm -hmm. and, and the fact that people are sold that bill of goods but we still just continue to elect the same politicians and the same policies. Hochul's a perfect example. Uh, Lee Zeldin did come close. Um, in New York State, he probably came as close as anybody would have at this point. People are starting to wake up a little bit, but at the end of the day, um, you know, it's, it's pretty discouraging. New York City's in the middle of, again, another massive crime wave, um, and they can't seem to vote uh, in their own best interest. We just vote party line in this state. And the people leaving New York State in, in record numbers are not voting D on, on election day. You know, we're losing, we're losing the same people, um, you know, people that may not have even been Republicans traditionally, but are saying this is insane. Um, yeah. The transgender movement, you know, I, I, 
I have a, a couple of gay friends and we've had this discussion. Um, you know, the transgender movement is not going to help advance transgenderism or the gay community. Um, you know, I, I had a, a conversation recently and this person said, you know, well, my daughter is gay. And I said, I made a comment about the transgender movement. And I said, if you think the transgender movement has anything to do with your daughter being gay, you have no idea what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we, we've morphed as a society into, you know, men can have babies and menstruate. Um, I'm an I'm an evil, bigoted person. If I don't agree with that, I just follow the science. But the point to that is um, New York State's a perfect example. We continue to elect the same politicians pushing those agendas election mm-hmm. cycle after election cycle. And yeah. unless we break that trend, this will never change. And it's a good point, too. A lot of people left New York, went to Florida, voted with their feet. So you have the brave people who want to stay there and see their state change and voted for Lee Zeldin. I mean, I can't even believe Kathy Holchel won. I could not believe it. I I honestly thought I was like, watch, if that flips, that would be amazing. Same with Whitmer. I watched the debates. I'm like, how could anyone vote for this woman? She is clearly a hack. She is clearly a pawn and just a robot up there. Disingenuous. It's just unbelievable. And so, uh, and same thing with Katie Hobbs here. She didn't even debate. There wasn't even a governor debate. And apparently she won. There was a lot of shenanigans. I'm going to do an entire episode really highlighting the specifics there. But then also, if anyone knows Project Veritas, he had one of his reporters run up on Katie Hobbs and sit down with her to ask her some questions. She flips out, spills her soda, runs and hides into a bathroom. So if your ideas are so sound and we're the crazy ones, you shouldn't have to run and lock yourself in the bathroom. You shouldn't have to hide in a basement like Joe Biden and not go and debate Carrie Lake and make Carrie Lake look foolish if she believes in flying purple elephants. Put her in her place. Katie yeah. Hobbs Katie Hobbs went on Don Lemon's show and Don Lemon, which is on the left, he literally was like, why don't you just go and debate her? Because they thought it was a bad political move. Like, what are you doing? Why are you not debating? But it doesn't matter here. Arizona right now, I think, is in a really dark spot. Um, no pun yeah. intended. It's turning more and more blue than purple, according to the votes. But I mean, if you drive around and talk to people, I don't really see that whatsoever. And uh, it's just really discouraging. And I don't see how people can vote for these politicians. And so uh, tell us a little bit about Lee Zeldin, uh, assuming that you liked him and you went to one of his rallies. Uh, you told me that story. Just You can tell that story again if you want and just break down what you thought he brought to the table and why that's just a good direction, a better one than the stereotypical agendas that people keep voting for in New York. Yeah, I think the first thing, um, so I did like Lee Zeldin. Um, I didn't know a lot about him, but um, I didn't start out being a Zeldin fan. And part of that is um, in New York State, um, you know, somebody that's got an R in front of their name or a C for conservative, they may or may not be, you know. Um, Most Democrats from 30 years ago would be Republicans in New York State today. Uh, maybe even 20 years ago. So I'm always skeptical, um, but he uh, he is a veteran. Um, he did serve in combat. Um, so I, I do appreciate that. Um, 
it doesn't mean that I I know somebody's politics, but guys that served in combat seem to come back and if nothing else, appreciate the country. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they they see the the absolute dysfunction and despondency in these other societies. Um, so I, I like that perspective. Um, he is from Long Island. It's a little more conservative, so it's a little more trustworthy there. He did get endorsed by some some pretty big conservative names. Um, so I was a little more comfortable. But um, yeah, I went to a rally of his in July and uh, it was very interesting. Um, I filmed a ton of it um, and I, I had turned my phone off. You know, you start worrying about like if your battery is gonna go or whatever. Um, but I turned my phone off for a second and um, just as I did like 10 seconds later, a guy walks up on stage. Um, he was staggering a little bit. So I didn't really think much of it. You know, I don't think anybody did. I mean, he just walked right up there. Um, as it turns out, uh, he was drunk, but he grabbed Zeldin um, by the shirt and tried to pull him in. And, you know, and you're in the crowd. You don't really know what's going on. Like at first you're thinking like, is this real? You know, I mean, wh- what is going on here? Because it was like slow motion. The guy didn't mad rush him. You know, he didn't make a big deal walking up to him, but he walked up and I think he said something like, you're done. And he went to grab Lee Zeldin and and Zeldin saw he had had, he had some uh, blades on his fingers. Um, I forgot how he put them on, but almost like brass knuckles kind of. And he had some blades sticking out. He had walked up there to slice him. And uh, Zeldin saw that and grabbed the guy's wrist Mm-hmm. Um, and they wrestled to the ground and, you know, this big melee ensues and the cops come and, you know, I'm filming this stuff. And, you know, it's, it was interesting because when they walked the guy out, like he came within a few feet of me, I'm just like filming the guy being walked out by the cops. Um, so after the melee dies down a few minutes later, Zeldin resumes his speech and cool as a cucumber. And he says, as I was saying, cause oddly <laughs> enough, he was talking about crime. Uh, <laughs> But I really respected him because he wasn't rattled. And then he said, um, you know, as a public service announcement, you know, as you know, I'm a combat veteran. And um, he did win, apparently, martial arts of some, he's like a black belt. He won some big uh, prestigious international event at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's not, you know, probably not the first guy you'd want to try to attack on stage. Um but at any rate, he had said, you know, uh, if you'll notice, I grabbed his wrist because when he came up to me, he wanted to pull me down and, you know, wrestle and fight and and stab me, gash me. And he said, but once I saw he had the blade, I grabbed his wrist and held it because I knew it doesn't matter if he punches me or what else happens. As long as I held his wrist, there would be no way that he could actually cut me with the blades. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, a, a melee ensues and a big pile and, and, but I was impressed by that, that he wasn't shaken by that, um, that he was able to just regain himself in his speech, but also that he he actually talked about, you know, because this was a, a physical confrontation, and mm-hmm. he actually talked about the fact that grabbing the guy's wrist, you know, when you think about it, you I've given speeches and lectures a lot publicly, and, you know, people will say, do you get distracted by the crowd? I'll be honest with you, half the time, I don't even see the crowd. It's like a blur, you know? I'm mm-hmm. not even cognizant. Once you get into the rhythm, you're not even paying attention to it. Babies can scream, people can yell, it, it doesn't matter. And yep. for him to have been in the middle of that speech and that rally, 
Um, and to have this guy come up and to have the wherewithal to defend yourself and then not be just shaken by that. I was, I was impressed by that. Um, yeah, that's was, insane. That That's literally uh, political violence right there. It is. And, it and is. We talked about BLM and the riots all throughout the years and it's, we're getting painted or we're seeing this painted very often. There wasn't a peep of this story anywhere. No. Right. Could you imagine if this was a Democrat politician oh, and one dude comes up you didn't even have to be a Republican. They would have just tried to make it seem like it was some right-wing yep. lunatic, kind of like the Paul Pelosi fucking debacle. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. So they try to paint it as like political violence only comes from the right. Election denying only comes from the right. But I move forward. Uh, was Lee Zeldin, was he Trump endorsed at all or no? I, I don't think he was. I don't think he was officially. Um, he had Mark Levin's endorsement um and maybe a couple of others i don't know I, the thing is with new york i think a, a lot of people write it off um we did have some we had some big name um guys in the primary uh, mark astorino uh he ran for governor a couple of years ago in new york um he's got a good resume he uh he also i believe ran in the primary um relatively big name he would have done a fine job um uh, rudy giuliani's son was also in the primary. Oh, so, yeah, that's right. You know, so some of those, with those other names, I think some people may not, there may not have been endorsements. Um, you know, I don't know about Giuliani's son. I just know it's Rudy's son. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, again, Mark Astorino would have done a fine job um, as well as as far as uh, his policies. Um, but, you know, I think a lot of people are reluctant to endorse somebody in New York. It kind of seems like wasted money. Um, I believe it was Astorino a few years ago. You know, he actually may have beaten Cuomo, um, but the National Republican Party put no money into the race. I mean, mm-hmm. it's New York State, you know. Right. Uh, typically, the Republican loses by 30 points. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, it's not a good investment. Um, but I think that Zeldin, I, I think he woke people up to the fact of crime. Mm-hmm. And, you know, New York City, you still got a lot of pretty affluent people. Um didn't quite make the dent in the minority communities in New York, I think, as well, you know, like a lot of other areas in the country. But mm-hmm. I do think that some of those minority neighborhoods are starting to wake up as well. Um, I think that Zeldin, it wasn't just the attack um, at that political rally. If you remember, um, just a few weeks before the election, there was gunfire right outside of his house when his teenage daughters were home alone. So, wow. you know, if that's not a an exclamation point on the problem of crime in, in New York state. Uh, you know, this guy, I don't know where he lives. He's in long Island. I don't know his house, but um, you know, he lives in a, a, a modest middle-class neighborhood, I'm sure. And to have, you know, gangs uh, and gunfire right outside of his own house. I mean, if, if there isn't an exclamation point to the problems that we have in New York state, you know um, I don't know what, I don't know what there is. So I like Zeldin. Um, I thought he had decent policies, um, but the biggest one was I do think he would have really tamped down on crime. And, you know, again, we've talked about this in the past. Um, Number one, the number one responsibility of government, especially in our system of government that we have in America by law, is to protect the citizens from evildoers. And I think Zeldin would have done that. Um, So it's unfortunate because certainly Kathy Hochul is not going to do that. You know, she's a She's that new brand of progressive. When something fails, they double down on it, you know, <laughs> and the guy actually, 
uh, the night Zeldin was attacked at that political rally, you know, that guy was booked by the police and then let out on his own, let out on his own reconnaissance. He slept in his own bed that night. So that, that's absolutely insane. You know, if that shoe was on the other foot, that'd oof. be handled way differently and publicized on such a different level. Uh, absolutely insane. So, I mean, there, there, I saw a map. I think Jack Posobiec posted it, how there was different shades and counties of New York that actually changed and went more red than usual. And so there was a dent made, which is promising, considering that we just uh, brought up the foot vote going to Florida. And Florida went complete. That was the red tsunami. And so I did the episode just recently, and I touched base on it briefly, how we set these super high expectations and we still came away with a slight victory. But since we set the expectations so high, people became very critical of how the Republicans did. And they were blaming Trump a lot. Trump's record was still really good. If you look at his total endorsements, it was like 217 or something to 16 or 18 or whatever. I think if a few things kind of went his way, like if Fetterman lost and Dr. Oz won, if we saw the governor's change, and even though it had nothing to do with Trump, but Hochul and Whitmer, and then if Arizona changed, which we can get into another time, but that was a lot of Trump-endorsed candidates that were pretty close. Yeah. It was pretty close. So if those things actually happened, coupled up with Florida, coupled up with Abbott winning, uh, J.D. Vance in Ohio, he didn't do as bad, but he's still catching a lot of heat. So I just wanted your opinion on like, the Trump endorsed candidates, Trump announcing 2024, and then maybe coupling that up with maybe DeSantis or what do you see in 2024? You know, I think it's too far out to actually make a decision. I think with with Trump, um, there's a certain brand there. And I think in Trump, you have the embodiment of the American political system right now. Um, there's You're always going to have in a two-party system, pretty much 40% of the vote goes to each candidate, right? And there's that squishy 20. Um, as America has really tightened up, there's like a squishy five now. Um, so Trump brings as much baggage as any other candidate, um, but that baggage is magnified by the media. Yep. So um, I, I think that's the first thing. Second thing, um, it's a long way to 2024. It'll be interesting to see long term how the Kanye West thing from last weekend pans out. Yeah, um, that was obviously a stupid move, but um, you know, as a lot of people have said, uh, the people around Trump ought to have done a better job too. I mean, you know, the 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 gotcha mentality in America—it's always been there, but it's gotten so much worse. Like you know, if you farted in church when you were twelve, somehow. Mm -hmm. 40 years later, that's going to come back and bite you. And so, right. you know, all of these politicians, even some of the ones I don't like, they get pictures taken. They go to events all of the time where unseemly characters are, and they have no control over that. Right. So mm -hmm. I, I want to know what your policies are politically. Right. And outside of that, unless it was a, a consistent thing, you know, the the hypocrisy uh, of the left, again, you know, you get the, the left-leaning politicians um, getting their pictures taken with Jeremiah Wright or Louis Farrakhan, right? So uh -huh. um, it doesn't matter where you are on the political spectrum. I think we can all agree those guys are, are pretty outside of the mainstream. Um, 
so the fact that that happened last weekend in and of itself shouldn't be a big issue. But I think because it's Trump, it, it may be. And that may turn out to exactly. be an Achilles heel for him. Um, but no, I think there's a lot of, depending on the area of the country, um, New York State may not be um, the political environment for Trump-endorsed candidates to be successful. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you go to a, a red state, if you go to a, a more purple state, um, I you know I think if he picks and chooses, anyone can anyone can pick and choose who they endorse. Mm-hmm. Um, if Trump, there there's certain parts of the country I think he can still be very successful. You know, not just as far as endorsing candidates, but actually making a run for the presidency. Mm-hmm. Um, the question that I have is, you know, the concern is the rest of the country where, you know, he's probably got 45 percent of the country isn't ever going to vote for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in parts of the country where he can be competitive, you know, what is the compelling argument? So it's a long ways away. Um, I think Trump, because of last weekend uh, and the scrutiny of the media, I think he, he's got some baggage. Um, yeah. and, and like you say, maybe his his track record for endorsements wasn't that bad in the midterm, but the media will spin that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think DeSantis. Uh, well, so do you know who Michael Savage is? Are you familiar it, with him? It sounds very familiar. So I think you had your great awakening just as he retired. Um, he's I think he's in his 70s. Um, he's got a Ph.D. He's a scientist and a doctor. Um I think he was a pretty liberal guy in the 70s uh, and 80s, but um, he, what's his mantra is um, uh, language, language, culture, and borders. He, um, he's a, a very right-wing guy, very outspoken. Um, his show burst on the scene some years ago, his radio show burst on the scene some years ago and, you know, yells into the mic and he calls people idiots. And, you know, uh, a lot of people when he was starting to get big, let's say 20 years ago, um, I knew some guys that were a little bit older than me and they basically said, uh, I like Michael Savage's positions, but he's too controversial. He's too over the top. He's too mean, whatever it is, you know, he's, uh-huh. uh, you know, so I started asking them though, you know, um, if nobody's listening and nobody's waking up to the nuts, like, if you go back to the George W. Bush presidency, um, I'm not a Bush fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wasn't a Bush fan back then either, right? So, but the media didn't like Bush, the liberal media, but he had his supporters. And I think as far as Republicans go, he was pretty, I think he probably still pretty, you know, popular. Uh, maybe Trump has cut into that a little bit, but George W. Bush, pretty popular with the Republicans in general. I didn't like the guy, didn't like his policies. I didn't like the things that he did as president. Um, yeah. And so this one particular guy I'm thinking about, uh, Michael Savage was very critical of some things. And so this guy said, you know, I don't, I don't like Savage. He's too obnoxious. And I said, well, so let's take like, you know, Bush's policies. So Bush is a, a, a Republican. So we're supposed to like him because we lean right. And the reality is I don't like him either. I don't like his policies. I don't think they're good for America. Michael Savage would yell and scream. And so this guy that I knew, he, he said, I don't like him because I, I like what he says. I like his, his approach or I, I like his policies, but I don't like his is just absolutely belligerent, you know, attitude. Mm-hmm. And I said, but if nobody's listening, somebody has to wake the people up. 
there's always going to be somebody that yells fire, right? If yeah. I'm walking down past your house at two in the morning and there's flames coming out the window and nobody else has seen it yet, do you want me to say fire, fire? Or do you want me to say, dude, your house is on fire. Get out. Mm -hmm. That was the Michael Savage approach. Right. And so the point to that is I see Trump in a lot of that light. Like a lot of people, his, his attitude his disposition rubs them wrong. Whether they're right or not, it's irrelevant. Mm -hmm. So they might like his policies, um, but I think there are people that won't vote for him because of his approach. Mm -hmm. And so if you get a guy like a Ron DeSantis, who, you know, he's not tried and tested the way Trump has been. I mean, Trump has proven he's got thick skin. Correct. But, and this isn't a knock on Trump. He's been very successful in his personal life as well as his public life. But if you get somebody that has the same type of backbone, that has similar policies and a similar approach, that has demonstrated real administrative ability, like a DeSantis with the hurricane, let's say. I mean, if Florida was hit by a hurricane and there was a Democratic governor, they'd still be trying to recover. Yep. You know, within a week, it, everything was within a week. They had just a few thousand people that still hadn't gotten their electricity back. So. You got a guy like DeSantis who, policy-wise, I trust him to make the right decision. Mm -hmm. He's demonstrated in a state that's larger than a lot of small countries. He's demonstrated when disaster hits, he's able to put together an administrative apparatus to deal with the chaos. He's got, um, you know, who's the the head of his health department in Florida? Who's the guy that's done a lot of legwork against the Corona BS? I know exactly uh, what you're talking about. Uh I forgot. I just can't. I can see him. But so DeSantis is a guy that has some street cred now as, as being reelected in Florida as the governor and having overcome some of these real obstacles and holding his own. He stood up to Disney. You know, he, he did fine with, with the coronavirus and the pandemic. He stood up to the, the extreme leftist position. He stood up to Fauci. Um, he's got people around him that have his back that stand up too. So they finished again, counting, they finished counting votes in one day. Yes. And so so when you look at that, the totality, uh, 2024 is a long way off. Um, Trump, if he wanted to run, he was right to do it now. DeSantis, uh, and I'm not I'm only echoing what other people have said. DeSantis really can't do that right now anyways. But um, I think DeSantis comes with less baggage than Trump. Yeah, uh, I think with a guy like DeSantis, you get all of the perks of a Donald Trump. And again, this isn't an insult to, to Donald Trump. He's the guy that screamed fire. Like he got everybody's attention. If yeah. you didn't believe the media was corrupt and you were persuadable, if you didn't suffer from cognitive dissonance, if you if if you didn't know but you still had a brain, Trump definitely convinced you. But yeah. that doesn't mean that in the future he's going to be the guy to carry the water. Um, DeSantis is kind of the guy that comes in. This is how I see it. Uh, if you're using him as an example. He's the guy that comes in that can make a lot of those decisions as well. He clearly knows how to organize a team and get people around him, um, but he's not as inflammatory. Correct. And there's a there's a huge positive. I don't see them running together on a ticket. No. Um, but we've got the, the Republican, finally, um, one of the first times in my entire adult life, the the right side of the aisle seems to be pretty stacked with a lot of moderately young, young, good-looking, successful people yeah. that are able to articulate an argument, that are able to stand up to the, the criticism and the ridicule of the media. And so, you know, 
I, I appreciate what Trump did in a lot of ways, but I'm just thinking by 2024, especially, he may have run his course. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not worried about that because, again, you've got you got a lot, we have a very deep death chart now that I think can carry that mantle, including a Lee Zeldin. We don't know that he's a young guy. Yeah, there's there's definitely a lot of youth, and we can definitely um, pay homage to what Trump has done. You're absolutely correct in regards to you know, how many people he's awakened, in my opinion, in your opinion. Uh, DeSantis, I would just say, he, and he, DeSantis is Trump endorsed. He's like a mini Trump. Uh, everything from his mannerisms and how he uh, kicks back or hits back at the media. I think people can really like that. I think the one thing that I would be questionable about is his experience at the federal level, right? Uh, even though Trump had none, so we all wrote, uh, people wrote, uh, rolled the dice on him in 2016. But after four years, he held his water, right? He did, he did yeah, very well. Yeah. And he has a lot of foreign policy experience. His foreign policy is something that DeSantis does not have, right? Yeah. T- taking care of Florida versus taking care of the entire country and being diplomatic is a whole different uh, Oh, ball. absolutely. And so if Trump, uh, I, I thought it was weird that he announced in Mar-a-Lago. I thought it was weak. Um, you know, it'd be like Ben Shapiro said, like him announcing in his living room not really as impactful. Why did he do it so soon? A lot can happen in two years. Who the hell knows? Yeah. And so I, I'm really curious in what's going to happen. I I wouldn't be surprised if DeSantis kind of just said, I'm not going to run and just see how it plays out. Uh, but if DeSantis did win, I'd be intrigued and I might vote for him. Uh, it just depends. A lot can happen. I would have to see what they do on stage. I don't like uh, how Trump shows his weakness even more shooting shots at him before he even announces. So he's clearly yeah. threatened by him. And so there is a lot of things that Trump has done that I'm just like, ah, eh, um, not really a fan of, especially his stance on the vaccines. But for the most part, I still, uh, I see the record from the midterms. I don't think we should be shitting on him as much as a lot of conservatives are. Uh, but overall, two years is a long ways away. It is, it is. And I, you know, there's a, a host of reasons why he would announce um, now. And part of that, you know, that could be a political strategy as well. Um, I I think that, so so I'll say this, um, I go with policy first. Uh, even, even some of the real leftist uh, politicians in the country, um, I try to go after policy and not the person. Um, and so I would say it's the same thing with Trump. Um, I don't know. It could have been a political calculation. Like, mm-hmm. how uncomfortable does it make it? So the left hates him anyways. Who cares? But um, how uncomfortable is it if if we had a monicum of decency? Whole set of topics there. Um, how difficult is it for the Biden administration potentially to indict Trump um, in, under our system with the whole world watching? Um, who is his chief political rival uh, to run for the presidency. I mean, there are some very shrewd reasons why, and, and if you're Trump, you're never going to admit that. You know, No, I'm running because I have a big ego. Um, I believe I was screwed in my first term and I wanna, I wanna get it back because I can do better and I think I can win. I'm not gonna argue if that's your argument. Yeah, me neither. You can't help but think though, or wonder, you know, as part of the calculation, um, there are potential indictments coming up as mm-hmm. part of his calculation, really more on the political side of 
go ahead, I dare you. It's going to look really bad. So not that you can't do it, but it's going to get really messy for you. Uh-huh. And I see, I really, see where you come from. You know, so it, it, it really could have been more about the showmanship. And and again, it's just a, an observation of his of his personality. Who's the better showman than, than Donald J. Trump on the American political stage? So I can, and it, even with the the throwing the attacks at DeSantis, I mean, all of that plays into this bigger than life ego and this desire to get back into the ring and win the presidency. I mean, he, I think legitimately he feels really screwed. You know, um, he got a lot done when every day of the week you're getting up for four years and the the mainstream press and your political opponents are trying to go after you criminally and lying about you endlessly. And that what... Those were not policy issues. Those were personal attacks on his character. When you're being called a traitor for four years, you know, when was the uh, the interview on 60 Minutes when he tried to bring up the Hunter Biden laptop and they basically said, you know, wasn't Leslie Stahl? Yeah. Basically said, that's ridiculous. It's not you true. Know? And these experts, I think there was like 50 of them. Uh, I took a picture of the New York Post. They had their pictures and their names. These are all the experts that said, it was a bunch of propaganda. Yeah. And that's why that's why these Twitter files are so interesting because it is a big benefit to Trump because I think the suppression of that story, I went really in depth on my Sam Harris episode because he had an abhorrent interview on trigonometry, just absolutely giving two thumbs up, like, yay, censorship. And uh, you know, censoring a conspiracy just so it favors the candidate that you want to win. That's a dangerous road to go down. And so I think these Twitter files are very important. And so uh, let's just stay on that topic. Like, what is your thoughts on that? What is your thoughts on Elon Musk and this whole Twitter takeover? I think we talked earlier, like if Twitter wasn't doing what they were doing, like the right is accusing and just normal people who don't have cognitive dissonance, um, if they weren't doing what they weren't doing, then why would there be such a big issue right now? What is the problem? You can still tweet whatever you want and some, right? I mean, obviously Kanye West crossed the line. <laughs> and he was yeah, like, yeah. he's like, there's only so much I can do. You start praising Nazis and the Hit- and Hitler and yeah. the Nazis. That's kind of tough. And he was he's obviously a little whacked out of his mind. But what do you think about Elon Musk and this whole Twitter debacle? I really wanted to stay on this topic a little bit. Um <laughs> I mean, there's a I, lot. It's a lot, but oh, there is, there is. Um, what was that meme I saw the other day? Um, a guy put out, uh, "Elon Musk did not commit suicide," <laughs> and and then the caption on the meme that was in the the picture, and then the caption on the meme it said, uh, "No, he's not going after the Clintons. He's going after Joe Biden." <laughs> so you know, um, the the first thing is, um, I. Years ago, if you go back several years, not a big fan of Elon Musk. Whole host of reasons why. Um, again, it's more about political policy or philosophy, whatever. And I thought he, I thought he was a little weird too. His Joe Rogan interview, I was like, is this guy all the way here? I I, I thought he was an alien. I still think he's an alien. Moving <laughs> forward, keep going. <laughs> yeah. So um, it's an interesting thing with Elon Musk. Um, I think he is extraordinary. He's a savant. So. I think he's extraordinarily intelligent and gifted, um, obviously. Um, it's a funny thing because this is a guy that I don't know where he would claim that he was or is, you know, libertarian, liberal, whatever. But he certainly wasn't a right-leaning guy. Like, 
if I'm thinking about uh, uh, any of these guys in the news and people say who's right wing and who's left wing, Elon Musk is not coming up on my radar as someone horribly right wing. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so that's part of the, my, uh, the way I'm kind of processing this entire thing. The way the left is categorizing him like, oh, he's going to just let all the right yeah. wing nuts go crazy and Elon's a right nut. But he posted that meme where the left just kind of pushed that um, yes. line and he was just like, I just kind of found myself on the right, I guess you guys are calling me on the right. But if what he's saying is true, like I, I, I follow him, I just created a Twitter, I have one follower, don't mean to brag. But um, <laughs> at, at the end of the day, I'm following Elon. And if his tweets are genuine, you know, if they are, then I'm on board. And that's what I said on my earlier Elon Musk episode, I'm here with the popcorn if he's really going to do what he says he's going to do. And thus far, especially with these Twitter files being released, um, what's the problem here? You guys are basically, he's basically showing like, hey, they had their hand in the cookie jar. What's the problem? Yeah, but yeah. Again, but again, we see cognitive dissonance. And I think, um, you know, I, I'm here for it. I, I can't wait for it to keep playing out. But it definitely benefits Trump, no doubt. It does, and it benefits the country. I mean, he's doing a, a, us a national service. Mm -hmm. Um He's a guy, perfect example of a guy that's not suffering from cognitive dissonance. He's able to actually look at information, um, assess the information. And then, and it's not about like, if they assess the information, they're always going to agree with me. Like I figured it everything out, mm -hmm. but you can tell when someone's an independent thinker and people generally, you know, most things, every, all of life is a bell curve. People generally are going to draw the same conclusions from the same information. I mean, there might be some differences, our background or, you know, where I grew up or education level. But generally speaking, if you're not suffering from cognitive dissonance, um, you're going to draw rational conclusions. And he's Keep a talking. guy who, yeah, okay. He's a guy who generally I didn't see, uh, think of as a right wing guy or on the right. He still may not be. But Elon Musk is a guy that's able to look at the, the facts of a situation and he's able to sift through them. And he does have a good bullshit meter. And so he's able to take a look at what's going on around him and make a decision. And he's got a backbone enough that if he needs to leave the pack or the flock, then he can do that. And he doesn't have to worry about uh, his self-esteem. And so uh, an Elon Musk does us a lot of favors because he's not afraid to go against the grain. And the, the left hates him now because he had the audacity to say, Hold up, time out. Let's take a look at what we're actually doing because I'm not sure that this makes sense. The left is incapable of doing that right now. So uh, he's built a great car company. He's built a great space agency. He's threatening to build a great phone. Um, he bought Twitter. And, you know, again, nothing that he's done tells me that he's overtly right wing. He's simply looking at information and saying people have a right to know. Yeah. And, you know, I'm comfortable with my positions. I've changed them. Next year, I won't have all of the positions I do now, I'm sure. But that's because I'm able to look at information and make a decision, you know, and, mm -hmm. and I do lean right uh, on, on most of my decisions. The natural knee-jerk reaction for me um, is to be very conservative. It doesn't mean I don't like change. It doesn't mean I'm not open to new ideas. But, you know, we lose sight in this country of the fact that conservatism really means before we change what we're doing, 
let's think about the repercussions of the new thing, right? Mm -hmm. Let's be careful and dip our toe in and make sure that there aren't unintended consequences to our actions. That's a conservative. They're mm -hmm. not curmudgeons. They're not incapable of change. They're not anti-technology or progress. But the concept is before there's massive change, I need to really make all of the considerations. Somebody more liberal isn't as concerned about that. Looks good for now. Let's do it and see what happens. And I think, you know, the fact that you're a liberal doesn't mean you can't take a look at information. And so Elon Musk is interesting to me. Um, I feel like if he's not still more left-leaning, um, his emotional persuasion would wish that he would, uh, would be. But he's definitely a guy that can look at the information, make a rational decision, and he clearly is not intimidated by anybody. So yeah. And you know, I, I, I think this guy, he's the definition of big boy money. Like, this is a huge thing. And threatening to make his own phone is an amazing thing. Like, I hope he does. Honestly, it's the same. I, I'm kind of like, okay, like, that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm skeptical. But at the same time, if what he's saying is genuine, and he's really doing this, then I'm on board with that. I will yeah. support that. Um, I still think he's an alien. But at the end of the day, it's all great stuff. Like what they did to this story uh, right before the election, claiming that it was yeah. like hacked. This is coming directly from the Biden team. Like that is the definition of fascism where that government kind yeah. of reaches through the corporations. And I think people don't really quite understand that. And they say, Oh, Travis, Twitter's a, a, it's a corporation. They can do whatever they want. It's like, I don't know. This really did impact, I think, personally, aside from all the other shenanigans from 2020 election. That one, I think that could have definitely swayed the amount of voters needed in these, oh, swings, in these swing states, right? And so I think with this, this is a big redemption for Trump. I think people are seeing like, oh, whatever happened to that story of raiding Trump's home and the nuclear um, documents? What yes. happened to that? What happened to the January 6th committee? We were watching that all over the place. Is anything even happening? No, because it's all show. They're going to keep on stringing Absolutely. it along and just keep infuriating the sheep. And so there's no other word to really describe it. I mean, I, that's just what it is. I think if people pay attention, his big mistake, though, but see, people don't really follow him on truth. Uh, the cognitive dissonance people, I mean. So he'll say, like, look, I had a meeting with Kanye West. I didn't know it was going to be like sabotaged. Right. He didn't, he didn't know Nick Fuentes, who's just uh, abhorrent and just ridiculous. Like that guy has some terrible evil views and he didn't know these other people were going to show up. So we don't even know the nitty gritty details of the entire right, situation, right, right. but Trump is separating from that. He's like, I did not like that meeting with Kanye. So that's good because Kanye wearing a fucking, what is it? Balenciaga mask on Alex Jones praising Hitler and the Nazis. Not a good look. <laughs> no, no. And there's uh, nothing there's nothing edited either. If you I watched that interview, unfortunately, it was the most cringy thing ever. It's so cringy. Like something is off with Kanye or I even I'm even being skeptical enough to the point where it, he's just doing this on purpose to get a rise out of people, to get a rise maybe out of specific people that he does business with in the music industry. Um, I don't know. It just, it was just a very cringy, not a good look interview. Yeah. And yeah. It was, it was pretty crazy. He's a guy out of control. No, no doubt about it. Like something is, something's wrong mm -hmm. with that guy. Mm -hmm. 
Well, that's your, he's running for president. <laughs> and so, yeah, I don't know. Uh, regardless, I, I like that Trump did actually tweet something at least or truth it um, that he wanted to separate from that. I don't think that's going to be the biggest thing, but you know, that's why they're paying so much attention to Kanye West. Oh yeah, um, absolutely. Kanye West, he fucked himself when he wore that MAGA hat and visited the White House with Trump. He, that's, that was strike one, the media and the main elitist people in all these institutions, that's where he really crossed the line, where he yeah. came in there. That was step one, <laughs> strike one. Yeah, and yeah. Same, and, and same with this whole Kyrie Irving treatment. Uh, he was very defiant against the vaccine. And I think that was, okay, Kyrie, here's your strike one. And now you're on strike two with this post that you did, this link that's still being sold on Amazon. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. This three-hour documentary. And so I think uh, it, that just goes to show if you cross that line with the mainstream media and the legacy uh, institutions, uh, they're going to show you what they think and what they'll do. And I think Trump is just wearing it. He's just got the thickest skin ever. My Lord. He does. He does. It's Anybody insane. else would have been out. I mean, it's. And so, again, he's the he's the guy screaming fire. Um, mm -hmm. And he's got a lot of people coming up behind him now. He's shown people. Carrie Lake is another great example. Yep. Um showing people Ron DeSantis showing people how that's done um because so many of the so many of the issues that come up are just so lunatic left mm -hmm. um you know it's the, it's the the old question you know when you're you're trying to entrap somebody so when did you stop beating your wife mm -hmm. I, I never beat my wife all of a sudden you're you're defending yourself for something you've never done and yeah. there's all these straw arguments coming out and you know, we have to find a way to work around that. Um, I have a Twitter account. I'm, I, I am on there more now scrolling. Really? Um, I don't post anything. Hold on, man. Um, I'm, I'm on Twitter. Let me, <laughs> I'm going to follow yeah. you. <laughs> I, I just created it because I was like, you know what? I never made a Twitter because I clearly, I don't deserve one yet, but I just said, screw it. Uh, what's your handle, Dina? Uh, I think it's uh, History Comes Alive. History Comes Alive. Let's see. Um, people. And I'm still kind of browsing through this damn thing. Ugh, so annoying. Anyway, yeah, I made one post. I, the producer of my podcast said, you know, in all honesty, if you're, if you really want to, to grow social media wise, um, you've really got to get on Twitter. You ought to Twitter and start tweeting. And I get in there and it's, it's so visceral. Um, you know, if you're on the left and you post something, everybody on the right log piles you, uh, dog piles you. If you're on the left, it's the same thing. And I just don't want to be a part. I, I just don't enjoy that. You know, when I was younger, I liked the controversy. I really don't now. Um, but I'll, I'll be right back in 30 seconds. Yeah, no worries. I'm still just trying to find you. Uh, yeah, I mean, the whole reason I made a Twitter... Um, was to not only get a little bit more news, but I'm just going to solo it right now, but it was just, it's going to be a better outlet to find new news sources. And uh, at the end of the day, what I find myself doing when I'm on Twitter, I will start following all people like AOC, uh, Raphael Warnock, yep. Pelosi. I follow everybody. And then I realize how addicting it can be. 
I just yep. start shooting tweets at people. I start responding. I'm like, whoa, this is crazy. <laughs> and I don't even know how many people are actually um, looking at it. But a buddy of mine, he recently said, like, the best way for you to get your followers is actually go to people that align with your beliefs and go put like maybe a savvy tweet and comment under their stuff. You're more likely to get right. people to look at that, like it, and then maybe follow you. Uh, but I'm addicted to going to all the people that I disagree with, listen to their bullshit that they tweet because there's a ton of it. It's crazy. And it so it's, it's really it addicting. I got to set it down. I understand now. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah. But overall, Twitter is uh, just like Sam Harris said, it's a giant psychological experiment along with all social media. And I think these Twitter files, it's just a peek into this one company. What about Facebook? What about YouTube? What about Google? Well, you this know, is it. Can you imagine what they would find? I mean, it's incredible. I, I guarantee they would. And people who say otherwise are just naive. They're naive. Uh, they're naive and lack information, or they know, but they turn their head off of bias, or they're corrupt and evil. Those are like the three things that I point out when I'm like, you, you don't think there's any shenanigans in these elections? Like zero? It was all on the up and up? no fraud whatsoever you're one of those three things in my opinion yeah oh and, yeah absolutely and, and so that's the way it is uh with this whole twitter thing but again i'm here for it popcorn um this whole hunter biden thing is absolutely crazy uh you know could you imagine if it was donald trump jr and i think it really uh, uh may it pave the way for trump i don't know i don't know but um i want trump to run again just for the fun of it. It makes politics fun. <laughs> and, yeah, and even even though we're we're really dark, like damn, we're in a really, you know, attacked place where all our institutions are being attacked. Uh you know, Trump does he's hilarious. But um yeah, what else did I want to talk about with you today? Uh what else you got for me? What else is on your mind? Um I think when we talk about critical thinking and uh um we all, we always end with the good civics so why don't we yeah just, isn't that funny we're, we're towards the end um what i've been doing i really like khan academy have you heard of khan academy uh yep i haven't been on there in a while but they've got some really good stuff they got some good stuff and there's no bullshit bias this guy just breaks down in depth like ap government like really simplifies the constitution yep. and history and I really just try to get two or three videos in per day. And then I'm reading and listening to some really good books. Uh, let me let me go back. What's the name of this one? Have you heard of this book? It's called The Closing of the American Mind by Alan Bloom. No, that sounds um, good, though. I totally recommend that to the audience and you. Uh, the Closing of the American Mind. He... He really goes off. You have to really pay attention. And some people are just so exquisite with the way they speak and how they write. I, it's mind boggling. But that one and then so Khan Academy and just so many different routes to just try and make sure I understand the foundations of how things operate. And I'm really curious, like if we go into an elementary school, a middle school, a high school, how sharp are they teaching Um these government classes and civics classes, you know? Yeah, I don't think they are. Um, I, uh, 
I have some real concerns about about that. Um, Larry Arn put out a he had, did a lecture. She's I think within the last couple of months. Um, education as a battlefield. And I was reading that article and then, you know, I started off by asking questions. Um, there's two things I think outside of the internal politics of America, um, two things that concern me uh, really are the, the state of education um, and the state of our military and national security. Um, mm -hmm. The education part, because our future depends on having literate citizens um, and if the military isn't strong enough to defend our national borders um, and our, our nation, then we will cease to exist. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so when it comes to education, uh, I think education, well, Larry, Larry Piarn had said uh, that it's become a bureaucratic nightmare, basically. Um, you know, this, so part of my thought process comes from his lecture, but part of it's just my own brain. Um, that'll probably be the lower level stuff. But, you know, like uh, Randy Weingarten, the president of the American Federation of Teachers, um, you know, no one has screwed up education probably more than her. Um, but, you know, she was in Ukraine a couple of months ago and, you know, she was in the middle of this crisis. So education has lost its way in America. Um, she really had no business being over there. I mean, I don't know if that's a violation of the Logan Act. I guess not. I just thought I'd throw that out there because if if she was right wing and I was left, I'd be saying that. Mm -hmm. um, but, um, you know, the question with like public education, um, what's the goal of public education? I mean, and, and in part, that's a, a theoretical question, right? Like it's it's a philosophical question, but what should the aim be for public education from a common sense approach? You know, um, our local school district uh, in my town, uh, our kids are homeschooled. Uh, they did go, two of my kids, my older kids, went to public school for several years. Um, my youngest, we we pulled the other two out of school the year he went to kindergarten. So they have all been homeschooled for many years. Uh, my daughter's 20. Um, but I went to, as, a, as an example for, for public education, um, I went to, for over the course of two years, I went to every... Um, school board meeting, I missed one, and almost every town hall, um, including I actually made a little appearance on local television. Um, but at the time, I live in Western New York, and the job that I had took me into Eastern Ohio, as well as Western Pennsylvania. Uh, I've always been in sales. Um, I actually drove home from Ohio a couple of times to make the school board meetings. So it was a huge part of my thought process. And I came away from the local level um, I came away pretty impressed with uh, the volunteers on the school board. Uh, my wife was always afraid I was going to get arrested. Uh, I didn't. Um, but I'm sure a lot of them, we didn't vote the same. But part of the struggle was, you know, the bureaucracy out of Albany. Um, our local school district here, eight, the, the years that I went, about 80% of their budget was mandates from Albany. Mm -hmm. So, they really don't, they really can't make a choice on a lot of things because they're told what to do. Um, so from a common sense approach, um, we used to go to these town hall meetings. And again, I've been living in a small rural community. So a guy stood up this one time and, and he was probably a little younger than me, uh, but he, the superintendent was there and he said, I have a question. Um, 
you know, I'm like fifth, he's like fifth generation farmer, whatever. He said, my grandfather uh, went to this school um, and my father went to school here and I graduated in, you know, 1990. And he said, um, when my grandfather graduated from this school in 1950, um, there were 1,100 students in the school. And when my dad graduated in 1970, there were about 950 students. And when I graduated in 1990, there were about 1,100 students again. And he said, you know, if you look at the last 50 years, the school district bounces between 900 and 1,100 students. Mm-hmm. And he said, so when my grandfather and dad went to school, when my grandfather went, there was a, it was one school building. And we had one principal, one superintendent, and then the assistant to the superintendent. Mm-hmm. When my dad graduated, they had just opened up the second campus um, and then figure that out. Like the school district had gotten smaller and they opened up a second building. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said, and so now we had two principals and the superintendent and a few more assistants. Mm-hmm. And he said, so now we have about 950 students, you know, 2015, let's say it was 13, 12, whatever it was. And he said, but we have two principals, the superintendent, seven full-time administrators making six figures in a small farming community in rural New York state Mm. and a part-timer. And he said, I would just like to understand as we have fiscal responsibilities and pressures, I would like to understand how it is that we have this many administrators and less students than when I was growing up. Yeah, that makes no sense. (laughs) No. And the superintendent, I mean, she was a very nice lady. Um, Again, we probably didn't vote the same, but she said, well, I do agree with you, but she said, you know, we're mandated out of Albany. And to be honest with you, we've actually got less administrators than we're supposed to. We're supposed to have eight full-time administrators and the superintendent. Give a fuck what you're supposed to have. Like, Yeah. So, so they're failing academically and you look at the expense of that. And so when Larry Arn opened up his his lecture by saying public education has become a bureaucratic nightmare, that's half the problem because mm-hmm. these folks are they're making policies based on keeping their jobs, right? So um, between 2000 and 2019, so a 20-year period, district administrators in public education across America, the the position for district administrators grew by 87.6%. Mm. while the student growth was 7.6 and teachers were 8.7. Mm. You know, you can't fundamentally change the way an organization is managed without changing that organization, right? So the question is then who owns our kids? Yeah. Who's primarily responsible for our, the growth and maturity of our own children? And we've seen across the country that school boards and and people like Randy Weingarten, they believe it's their responsibility to raise our children, yeah. right? So, so if they believe that, then you can't have the children going home and being defended by the parents. You know, if the if the family is the basic building block of society, I guess you have to identify. You have to redefine everything now. What, what's what's the basic family unit? You know, yeah. and 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 if. If the parents are responsible, primarily responsible for the education of their children, 
then what is the responsibility of public education? Isn't it reading, writing, and arithmetic? I mean, that's what they always said. Mm -hmm. But what we get is sex education. We get uh, critical race theory. Mm -hmm. We divide the students. Um, we turn them against their parents. We talk about sexual, sexual uh, conduct and connotations with five-year-olds. You know, I'm sure you've seen the videos where they've taken these five-year-olds, these transgender shows in, in bars and strip clubs. Mm -hmm. You know, um, what's the state of public education? If we don't turn that around, we won't have a country in, in a generation. Yeah. And it just goes back to your conservative definition. It's like uh, the things were changing. Do you guys want to even consider the long-term consequences of that or even the short-term consequences of that? And it, it just this whole bureaucracy takeover, it, it goes back to, oh, if it fails, well, double down. We need more money, Absolutely. Says, says every bureaucrat, says every Democrat politician. That is their game plan. That is their goal. Absolutely. That's what they want. How And it's with that, you're being very logical uh, with the years. So you're just looking at a certain, what, decade on student attendance versus how many more administrators and principals and buildings and the costs. Why? What is the purpose of this? Why does this apply here? And, you know, I just think this is just all common sense. Thomas Sowell goes so in depth about yeah. how they're not even teaching the crap that they're supposed to be teaching. It's all emotional based learning. Yeah. And I don't know if that's a good idea. I think that's a terrible idea. You're basically Awful. you're basically pumping out future advocates or activists, I mean, um, yeah. because they're going to get pumped out and see that the system sucks. So they're right. going to go out and parade and, you know, it might as well be BLM-esque. They're going to go out and protest and yes. say the system sucks, but they don't realize the people that they're trying to elect are the ones that actually created the system that is pumping them out to be such. And that's the problem. And how do you, how do we even communicate and distribute this idea to them? And uh, without looking like a, you, you sounded like a full-blown transphobic bigot right now for speaking I, I all that common, uh, common sense. So we are public enemy number one for trying to put together the pieces rationally in my opinion i think it's rational what's the big deal here but i don't yeah. want i don't want drag shows at the schools so uh what's up <laughs> well i think part of that you know it is it's social marxism um call it what it is um you know or cultural say, cultural marxism yeah and so yeah and so everybody always wants to attach that with with economics and again um if you go back to the frankfurt the, the frankfurt school they were smart when they came to America. They understood that we'll never be able to, capitalism is too successful. It creates too much wealth and prosperity for everybody. We'll never be able to attack America economically. So we practice social Marxism, and that is tearing down every institution, you know, every system, every policy that works. We have to attack everything and, and com completely confuse and deflate the system. And and until people start realizing that, you know, it's always so funny to me when somebody on the left will call somebody on the right a fascist. You know, oh, yeah. we have to start redefining. We have to start telling people what the definition of the word is. It's as bad as the Biden administration mm -hmm. saying we're not in a recession. Well, right. we've had a definition, 
an economic definition for a recession that's been in place for longer than you've been alive, you clown. We are in a recession. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know? uh, so, uh, and so uh, the book Speechless by Michael Knowles, Speechless, Controlling Words, Controlling Minds, it's pretty brilliant. And uh, it's this word democracy as well. And uh, they just throw that yeah. all over the place. Like this is a threat to our democracy or they'll say, democracy is on the on the ballot democracy is on the ballot implying that if you vote for democrats you're voting for democracy which is good if you vote for those republicans it is bad and so at the end of the day i'm confused democracy isn't on the ballot democracy is the ballot if the majority of people vote for republicans then that's democracy you clowns yeah. <laughs> like it literally yeah. is it makes no sense so i never understood how uh republicans or all these maga candidates were a threat to democracy i didn't see carrie lake as a threat to my democracy no. if we're gonna if we're gonna call the abortion thing like a, a handmaid's tale thing which it's not we can get into that in more depth another time but if that's all you got and election yeah. deniers, which we're not election deniers, we're election questioners. Um, it's never been a problem in a free speech society. The only time it's a problem to question elections is in totalitarian, tyrannical societies. They will Absolutely. punish those who question those. So I didn't see the logic in that. And they're all about pro-choice until the vaccine. So they're hypocrites on top of that. Why would I ever vote for these people? Fuck that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Well, the other thing is, too, you know, if you want democracy, um, there's a hundred ways to slice that. But the reality is democracy says you have a bicycle and me and 10 guys say we want that bike. We'll take the bike from you because the majority rules under a constitutional republic. That bike is your private property. No matter how much I want it, I don't have a right to it. And we and, and we see the breakdown when they use the word democracy, it, it was to dilute the system years ago, but I think we've got a lot of public officials, especially on the left, that really believe we live in a democracy. They really do believe they should be able to take private property from somebody else and redistribute it. Yeah, and, so- and, and I urge people to follow the channel on YouTube. It's called New Africa. He goes so in-depth on specific countries in Africa. And when you were talking about uh, bureaucracies expanding the amount of programs all these countries have and their slogans of free education free health care and just what we're touching base on right now it applies tenfold in all these countries that are just absolutely not america by any means necessary and so i came across this meme check check this meme out i don't know can you even see that let's see is it a little blurry uh, it- yes yeah four out of five citizens love democracy yeah and they're that's just perfect and they're just beating them with yeah. that's it i mean <laughs> and I'm people like, just don't understand and so i saw that meme and i was just like wow that's just absolutely perfect and um i think this was a big reason why those those uh racist uh, founding fathers they just didn't like democracy i wonder why because they knew the majority could be yeah. just as tyrannical as a single individual or handful of individuals and so they tried their best to put together a system brilliantly to kind of wiggle away around it so people like hillary clinton don't just campaign in new york and california in specific cities where millions of people are just clogged up and stupid and why yeah. should those rules dictate 
where people in rural areas in California live, let alone in other states, you're going to abolish the Electoral College. I actually see that shirt sometimes. And I'm like, yeah. do you even know about the Electoral College? Like without it, Abraham Lincoln wouldn't have won. You know well, that, right? You know, <laughs> the, the majority wanted slavery back then. You know that, right? Yeah. Well, <laughs> what's scary is that, you know, within the next decade, we're going to be fighting for our lives to retain the Electoral College. I mean, there's enough people that just don't understand what's going to happen yeah. if that ever goes away. You know, the first people that get run over like a truck, I mean, this is one of the things with the transgenderism. You know, I'm, I'm far more libertarian on a lot of that stuff. I really don't care until you shove it in my face. Uh, yeah. So it's not an anti-gay, anti-trans thing, but that's a perfect example. Um, you know, these people ought to realize what a tool you are. If you're into the trans movement, and again, that's separate from being gay or trans. If you're into the whole trans political, you know, apparatus right now, do your homework. Because what will happen when the when the 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 fascists or the Marxists actually get into power, you're one of the first groups they're going to destroy. That's yeah. historically accurate. So these people don't understand, like it. It, you're being used as fodder. And once they ad acquire their agenda, you won't be necessary anymore. Mm -hmm. And so uh, look at the unions, you know, whether it's the Teamsters or the railroads, you guys have, you've served your useful purpose. We're done with you now. We aren't going to allow you the dignity of even, you know, rectifying your own contracts. Mm -hmm. um, the, these people are being used. A guy like me on the right you can say I'm a hate monger and I don't do this and I like that, whatever. But the reality is I'm actually looking out for your best interest because it's in my best interest too. Mm -hmm. Same thing with the, the urban decay and blight. It's in my best interest, if nothing else, it's in my best interest that your neighborhood prospers. I'm telling you the policies that have been in place for decades have done nothing but decay mm -hmm. your neighborhoods. I would like to help you by telling you what some of the alternatives are for things that will actually work. But we have to get to a point where we're having those conversations with people. And I think it really does come down to one-on-one -on -one having the conversation and letting people understand, you know, the fact that we might disagree politically, it's okay, but let's talk about it. Because, you know, when I was younger, especially, I was a lot more liberal than I am today. I loved the country. I wasn't, liberalism was different. But uh, I loved the country, but I was pretty liberal on some things. But then I lived life a little bit and I read books and I recognized history. And, you know, you start seeing like patterns with 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 what some of these autocrats would do in the early part of the 20th century. Then you start hearing that same rhetoric in your own politicians. It, it doesn't take a brain surgeon to add one plus one, you know, and having those conversations is where we need to be. Um like I said, you know, coming on to my podcast episode, um, doing an episode with you and um, interviewing you on the journey that you've taken the last few years, um, because I, I think a lot of people don't know where to start. You know, um, they start seeing some of the hypocrisy, especially when it affects their personal life. That's that's when it hits home. Oh, yeah. The problem is the system has been so eroded now that. By the time a lot of these people wake up, it's going to be gone. There, there won't be an opportunity to fix it. You know, um, mm -hmm. with uh, Barack Obama with health care, uh, the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare, however you want to look at it. Um, you know, they what they did behind the scenes, they had so gutted the the regular 
you know, healthcare industry that by the time they implemented the Affordable Care Act and this kicks in, I mean, you can't just turn around and go back and do what you did, right? So we have to be careful because we're reaching a tipping point where even if people start waking up, you have so eroded the system, it won't matter anymore, you know? And yeah. that's my biggest fear. Um, same thing with the military, you know, if we don't turn things around with the direction of the military, we won't have a national defense. Mm -hmm. And um, it, so it won't even matter. So we turn society around for what the, the communist Chinese to take over anyways. I mean, that could be, that's a reality that we have to think about. Yeah. And I don't think we're quacks for looking into the future and raising these concerns to be frank and honest. There's a lot of things. And I think this course is one of the main things that we really need to start having, which is why I really wanted to talk about the Twitter files and Elon Musk, because I think that plays a big part with, with the technological advancements that we see today and uh, all the stuff we talked about. Uh, let's close out here. Um, just again, make your plugs. Where can people find you? Um, reiterate what you do again with your podcasts. And uh, yeah. So uh, it's uh, History Comes Alive with Jeff Nichols. And you can find me on almost all of the uh, major podcasting platforms. Um, as well as Lipson.com, uh, which hosts the podcast platforms. Um, I'm on Instagram. I do have a Facebook page. I'll admit I'm not on uh, Facebook and Instagram as much as I was. Um, Instagram is the best way to, to see what I posted. Uh, we're going to be coming out with some new episodes, but we are working our way through Colonial America. Um, we've done about 80 episodes, and uh, we are going to start branching out doing uh, more more episodes like this. I know, uh, Travis, you and I had talked about doing mm -hmm. some more of the early, uh, the founding feuds uh, yeah. in American history. Um, I'd like to do some of those. Mm -hmm. But um, the goal of the podcast is critical thinking. Um, I'm, I'm using the medium of colonial America because I love I love the time frame. Um, and also because uh, predominantly the audience is going to be from America. Um, and at least in the in the naming of places and names and dates, uh, we're going to feel like we've come from the we're coming from the same direction. Um, you know, I can say George Washington; everybody recognizes Washington. Um, so the goal is critical thinking through uh, just weaving through American history, uh, how we got to uh, the founding of this country. Um, you know, my my big uh, goal is to get through the Revolutionary War and then really. Uh, you know, probably till the day I die, go over the founding fathers, the documents. Um, but what we're seeing just in the brief view of, of colonial history through the 1640s right now, um, so many things have already come up that found their way into the American Revolution over a century later. So mm -hmm. um, it's going to be it's going to be a good time. We're we're just finishing up uh, pretty soon. A couple more episodes in the English Civil War. We're going to come back. We're going to deal with the English and the French next. Mm -hmm. And uh, so. Uh, I'd love to have anybody join in. It's uh, History Comes Alive with Jeff Nichols. Yeah, exciting stuff. I am really excited to come on and do the interview. Let's plot that ASAP. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, it's always a pleasure, Jeff. Great combo. I know I'm going to re-listen to this and enjoy it. Um, again, Jeff Nichols, History Comes Alive. This is combo number 31. Or yeah, combo number 31. And this is Travis, the Unveiled Patriot, signing off. See you later, Jeff. Take care. Bye-bye.